Welcome to this edition of All Stars of Turf, sponsored by Air2G2 and Dryject. My name's John Reitman, and today we're going to recognize the efforts and accomplishments of Mark Hoban of Rivermont Golf Club in Johns Creek, Georgia, in suburban Atlanta. Mark, thanks for making some time to be with us today. Thank you, John. Um, thank you very much for the honor. So we, we've got to know you first through our connections with uh, our common friend, Randy Wilson. And uh, since then, that's been several years now, since then, all of us have just been completely wowed by the work you're doing there at Rivermont. Um, you described it to me years ago as a holistic approach to golf course maintenance with uh, heavy reliance on uh, an organic aspect to maintaining uh, golf course turf. Obviously, there's a lot of ground here to cover with this. If anybody's seen Mark's place, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. And it just, it feels like you're really taking a step back in time. Can you describe for those who aren't familiar with your work, what this holistic approach involves? How did you get started in it? And how did you learn and get up to speed so that you knew what you were doing? Well, um, it started when I was at the Standard Club and uh, we were building a new golf course with Arthur Hills, the architect, and started looking at the land and I started seeing things on the outer edges that I thought I'd like to frame the course with. And so that's how I got started. And um, uh, we did a lot with tall fescues and just what appeared natively uh, through the years. But we let the fescue grow up to seed and it would get that straw color and frame the holes and, and it just, and I just started taking off there. Uh, Chris Cupid, the owner of Rivermont used to play out there and saw that. And uh, when I uh, was asked to uh, leave the Steiner club, uh, Chris hired me. And um, the first year it was, it was very tough because it's a very old course with not a lot of money spent. And it was just wall to wall Bermuda, bent grass greens that were predominantly POA and after the first year, he hired Mike Riley as an architect, and the three of us went out and we took down thousands of trees and brought in his flavor of a 1920s golf course. And it was just my sweet spot with taking the trees out and bringing in the native grasses. So that's how it how it just festered. And and Chris has always been so good to me, uh, letting me have all the rope I. I needed to hang myself and just kept going. I would go to Chris and say, you know, I'm, I'm interested in compost teas and I've looked into it. And I think our 45 year old golf course, we can save money on fertilizers by, by doing this uh, the first year. And he said, go for it. We did. And surprisingly, it was a good year to start doing that because we had tremendous success. We, we cut our fertilizer by uh, 40% and it, it kept going from there for for the first five years and then just kind of leveled off but so every year I just see other things and, and want to get into it from saving seeds from broom sedge to now we're into compost extracts we make our own thermal compost uh, we've you know do the bluebird boxes and uh, now we're into the apiary with honeybees and uh, pollinator plants and I just love working with the researchers at the University of Georgia and so we've done a lot of projects there that look 
more into the biology than into um, kind of where we've been in, in science and research, more into the chemistry of how to make a plant greener and what pesticide can uh, kill what, what uh, pathogen. And um, just it's been my own way and I'm not finding a lot of friends that, that at least in the state that are thinking this way. I've had to go up north to like Dan Danelli at North Shore and places like that to, to pick the, the guru's brains and, and just keep plugging along. But it's, it's worked wonderfully. It has its ups and downs. Anytime anything's negative, uh, my members say it's, you know, Mark and his damn organics. And when it's successful, um, you know, it's, well, that's what we expect. So um, it's been an adventure and, you know, I'm 67 now and I love it. I, I don't want to quit. I'm having too much fun. And, and I, you know, if I, my next life, I hope I'm a full-time researcher because that's what I love to do. And I have very good assistance uh, so I can focus a little bit more uh, on the research end of things at this point in my life. As you started to dabble in these organics and biologicals and the things that you're actually creating on site, much has been made of your, your worm farming operation there. Uh, how did you get the sense that this was going to be not only allow you to decrease your reliance on synthetic products, but also lead to a healthier golf course when really, I mean, very few people, if any, at the time, maybe a handful were doing something similar to what you're doing now. You know, most of my peers, I think, are always looking for Maddie Hush, a better way of doing things. And I guess I've taken it maybe to a tangent extreme um, because frankly, I, I had success at the beginning. And so uh, I liked what I saw and then I started getting more into, you know, the sustainability and, and what it was doing for the environment. So that's that's how it kind of, um, you know, took off in that vein. Um, and then I was finding that the science wasn't really there to back back me up, that 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 uh, we weren't really doing the research in these areas. So that intrigued me, too, that I could, you know, kind of pioneer in a sense my way. Uh, but I've learned quite a bit more from my failures than my successes, maybe. Um, and I have to I have to go back to the very beginning of something you said. You know, uh, I have to give Randy Wilson credit. He's he's the the magician, but that has made me look good. I I don't think I'm that good, but Randy's uh, Randy's a, a true pro at uh, making somebody that's halfway there uh, look like he knows what he's talking about sometimes. So as, as you started to get into this, where, how did you educate yourself to know what you were going to do? There was at least a likelihood that it was going to work because, but in this business, if, if experimentation leads to failure, you know, that can be a career disaster. Right. Um, you know, when I first got in the business, Palmer Maples hired me. I was just a high school student, 15. And um, he, did research with the University of Georgia on the property and I was always with them and um, he would do like overseeding because we had Bermuda greens he would oversee with different um, types of rye blends and bluegrass blends and we would set out the plots and 
rate them. And so I got to learn that kind of thing. And then after he left and I took over, we had researchers out there from Scott's and in the University of Georgia doing doing some things. So I, I guess that's how I got it in my blood. So when I had my own course, I would do that. You know, if I was spraying greens, I put a board check down just to see is the nitrogen working? How quick did it green up or things like that? And and from there, even with pesticides, I, I would play with them, especially herbicides, you know, with, what's its burn potential? And um, and that's how I, I, I guess I got into it. And once I uh, learned about compost extract or compost tea, I wanted to, and I kind of pulled up all the superintendent magazines and I really can only find one or two articles. So I called up those guys and um, they told me what they were doing. And the one had the worm farm and I'm kind of rolling my eyes and, uh, you know, but he was like, basically, but, you know, I let other people, you know, take it over. And then I talked to another one and he said, yeah, it works great. And I said, well, you know, how, how do you know it works? You know, what are your data points that you're taking? And, and it was all this, well, you know, it looks better to me. Therefore, I think it's working. And I wasn't satisfied with that. So I got into the uh, organic farmer side where they live it. If they're not producing organically results, they're going under. So they, they have to not wish it would work or hope it would work. They've got to know. And so when I found out from them, I mean, they're using microscopes to make sure your biology is actually breeding when you're making compost tea and you're cleaning uh, the biofilm out in between and, and you can't blend it with other things or all the oxygens to bleed. So I learned from them how to bake it properly. And, and that's where I found an affinity is in the, uh, the farming organic uh, world of education. And uh, because those guys, you know, they're not in it to play. It's, it's survival. And so it's for real. And that's what I enjoy. Uh, they're there to, to get educated, teach and, and pass on what they, what they learn. So I've found a lot of education there that I wasn't finding, frankly, in our, our business, our end. Yes, some were doing it and there would be a talk here and a talk there, but it wasn't really, you know, a hundred percent. So I just, you know, went my own route and, um, and just got more and more passionate about it. The more I learned, the more I wanted to do not. And that, you know, some people are, I, I, my counterparts are very good at doing one or two things very good and really grind out the data and they know hundred percent. I'm, I'm of the world where I want to do a hundred things and I hope, you know, five or six of them turn out good. And then I could follow that path. I'm just too excited to sit back and, you know, just do it slow. But I've gotten with researchers from all industries and, you know, they've taught me how to do research like they do so that I could start having the data and not, you know, just talking about, well, I think it looks greener uh, or healthier. And so what I've, I've kind of come to the conclusion now after eight or nine years is that I've created a soil that's more suppressive to uh, pathogens, to diseases. And, um, you know, but it's still an ocean wave of, well, if I do this, am I making it more conducive to disease or less conducive. And, and so it's a back and forth. And yes, I do spray fungicides. I probably spray 20% um, of what my counterparts do. Um, I don't do a lot of uh, preventatives like spring dead spot. I, I don't know another golf course in Georgia that isn't spraying for spring dead spot on their greens that preventatively, um, but I've never seen it. 
And, um, but if I was young, would I take that risk? Uh, probably not because I'd be fired. So um, it's, it's a tough go for some young person, but I think I learned it's not a light switch. It's, it's a slow uh, roll and you just get a little bit better at it and, and back off a little more. And do I sleep at night? Probably not as much as the guy that's, you know, nuking with the, with the fungicides um, and they produce awfully good products. So it's hard to, you know, it's hard to complain or say, you know, they, they've produced great turf. So, um, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm going my round and I have an owner that's standing bes beside me and behind me, which, which is critical. How many different native grasses are you using? Um, I started when we rebuilt the, the standard club. I, I took a seed catalog from out West and just went through it. It was stock seed and it was all for uh, grazing for cattle. And, you know, they had the Indian grass and the blue, blue stem and, um, uh, switch grasses and, uh, uh, and so I started calling those guys and the breeders and say, well, tell me about the colors when you let it, you know, grow up to, you know, waist high. And that's what, you know, so it was totally different angle. They're selling it for cattle to eat. And I was looking for those kind of things to enhance the framing of the golf course. And that's how I got started. But, you know, just on property, you drive anywhere in Georgia, you look at the side roads, you'll see, you know, this beautiful orange, uh, uh, Andapogon virginicus, which is just broom sedge along the side of the road and nobody's touched it. I mean, and it's, it's so solid and massive and there's nothing else in there. There's no other, um, you know, I think the farmers maybe will plow it down, uh, mow it down maybe once every couple of years, but it's, it's magnificent. So it's drought hardy, uh, poor soil. In fact, it survives what everything else doesn't. It's allopathic, so it's killing other plants around it. Um, so that's that that was my number one go to. And then other things, we needed some backdrops for some fencing and things like that. So we went with the panicums and uh, and Indian grass and just started playing around with those. And then I got with some of the grass growers uh, on the East Coast. Hoffman Nurseries has just a great palette of different grasses and started playing with those and learning more and more as I went along what works, what doesn't. And uh, I've made some mistakes in some of my grass selections too. Um, one of them was I, at the time, I liked the bearded broom sedge um, and we got some and planted it in one little spot on the golf course. And it's, it's spread across the golf course now. And I still like my uh, virginicus version a lot better. So I'm uh, trying to eradicate the, the bearded where I can, but I love the looks. And then we, we took some, um, some orchard grasses and we let that mature. And, you know, that's the thing on golf course. You, you don't let it mature. You're always cutting it down. Okay. It's got to be under an inch and a half and we would let it mature and it would seed out at four feet. But, you know, we felt like the game was played in the air. Mike and Chris, Mike, the architect and Chris, the owner, uh, ladies on some holes had to hit it 20 yards in the air for safety. Or if you were a senior, you might have to hit it 70 yards on some holes and you, you played from your ability, but, those areas, it's like hitting at the ocean. You lost your ball, but it was no water, no no uh, pesticides, no mowing. Um, weed control was maybe a, a a bush hog once every two, three, four years, and um, so that's how that's how it developed. Um, so we've kind of stuck with five or six 
grasses, little blue stem and broom sedge are my two favorites. They're very compatible. The looks are, are similar. Um, and it's just, just a great frame. How many acres have you taken out of irrigation over the years? 32, 32 acres right now. And we continue to move further along. It's getting a little more, uh, finite where I can go, you know, but, um, but, but yeah. And, um, we haven't, we haven't gone back and said, oh, okay, we made a mistake. We need to put that back in grass. It, it's still, you no, know, keep developing that. You know, the design was pretty wide fairways, kind of that 1920 box, box look. Um, but on the backs of these bunkers, you know, we've let the grasses grow up. Uh, it's just, it's so powerful. Yet the funny thing, John, is you think that the owners of these small clubs that don't have a lot of money, that they would be interested in doing that. And I've tried to, you know, talk at owners meetings and things like that, but I don't get any takers. It's, 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 they see the masters every year and they say, that's what we want. You know, let's, let's get our azalea order in and, and this is what we want. And it's just like, golly, you don't have enough money as it is. Let's focus on the tea, the fairway and the green, forget these edges. Right. And uh, I just, I, I, I just, I'm still just amazed. Now the fact that high end clubs like Capital City, Kyle Marshall's doing it. Uh, he's put in 25 acres of uh, little uh, little blue stem and broom sedge, fantastic job. And he's he's not even touched his property yet. He can do a lot more and, and is. Um, I think it's going to become in vogue. Tell me what the education of ownership and management was like to get them on board with this. And then as you're as you really start to fine tune this program, to also educate the people on your crew who are having to implement it with you. Okay, well, it was a one-on-one with my owner, and that was kind of the first thing. He, he, he already was familiar with my work at Standard Club, so he saw some of the native grasses and things. And so um, once we were in the reconstruct a year after I got there, we, the three of us, built that into the design. Um, so we, none of us envisioned it would go as far as it did. Because a lot of it, we started out with, okay, we're going to irrigate this to get it established in fescue and then let it go. But then the native grasses came in there because we weren't maintaining it. So Chris was on board. So each phase, meaning the compost tea, I had to talk to him and say, look, this is what I'm, I want to do. Get, Chris is a, an avid reader and a, a, a student of the game. And um, so he, he understood where I was coming from and uh, he was on board. Uh, it wasn't, you know, you better make this work, but I have confidence, Mark, if you say you think you can, let's go for it. And so it, it I just kind of carried on like that. It was not uh, like me just trying to change everything that, that he envisioned. It was just kind of completing and putting the, the uh, frame around it all uh, on the design. And, and uh, you know, we had maintenance standards uh, for the golfer, but at the same time, the outer edges were kind of all mine and do with it what you want as long as, you know, it's looking good and we're happy about it. And, and we just kept bringing it, uh, you know, we had holes where it'd be a par five and it'd be 150 yards of maintained Bermuda all the way to the T. And it's like, we're taking this out of play. We stripped the Bermuda out, seated in the broom sedges. 
stopped watering it. And boom, we had the instant change. And yes, golfers were topping it, but they picked, they could pick a tee over here where they only had to hit it 20 yards to not, not to, to get over the carry. Right. To carry over. So, so that's how it started. And then, uh, then we had to educate the golfers, you know, they heard about my worm farm and, and the neatest thing, John was in the summers, you have the junior camps uh, and the assistant pros are all out there with 20 kids. And I'd bring my dog up and I'd show them how we stamp a green and paint a cup and change a cup and mow. But then we bring them down to turf care and we, we'd show them everything. We'd show them the worm farm and they would dip their hands into a bag of compost. And I'd tell them that's worm poop. And, you know, they'd have a chuckle and we'd show them our compost. And then we'd, we'd take them out in the field and show them our bee boxes and our bluebird boxes. And then our plots, you know, where I would have different uh, organics, that, uh, things that we were testing uh, versus some, some of the synthetics. And so I, I got to spend a day educating. Well, assistant pros appreciate it because they were off kids. They got a break, so to speak. And the interesting thing, most of the time, I'd get calls the next day or the next week from their parents, especially the mothers. Hey, my son's said such 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 can we come down and see what they saw you know so it was just kind of spreading out that way and that was that was the same thing with the field day we would invite the neighborhood members as well as you know peers and and just try to share those kind of things and show them some things like hey don't do it all just just pick one little thing and that's that's the way anybody should should do it just start out easy it's not a light switch it's just slow go and and before you know it, you're you're doing more than you thought you could, maybe. Um, so you 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 educate kids and their parents and members of the community and golfers of what you're doing. That's one thing. What is it like when they get out on the tee box? Um, I think they're um, most of them are intrigued by it. Um, as long, but I'll say this: we're getting a lot of new members, young members. Um, they're, they're good golfers and they've played some of the finest golf clubs in Atlanta or, you know, the world. And they come here, they join because of the uniqueness, but at the same time, um, there's, there's too many of, of the young members that, that only, uh, decide how good a golf course is by determined by the last shot they hit out of a bunker. Right. And, um, I find the older members, because we had a very big contingent of older members, they appreciate it. They appreciate the wildlife. They appreciate the looks. And um, they're not just interested in the, the perfect ball speed and, and the perfect conditioning of every detail, edged cart pass and things like that. So that's, that's a balance um, and an education that's always ongoing. Um, I find that if things are going south, like um, last year, you know, I thought oh, I'm going to get ahead of this. I'm, I put out this thing that Pace put out about potential for Bermuda grass growth. You know, you take the high and low air temperature and um, it's got a chart from zero to 100 percent growth for Bermuda. And so I put that out in advance and I told them, you know, we were at about six percent in April potential growth. And then we had the coldest May on record. And because we, um, we have a blue line policy where the carts aren't allowed to drive in the fairways, they can drive in the rough on both sides of the fairways in the winter. 
they love it because now they've got a good mat in their fairways. We seem to stay greener three weeks into the fall, longer. We're, we're green up much earlier in the spring. And I've, I would say we're even greener than my counterparts in the spring. And I, again, I think it's all the carbon and organic approach is helping there. But um, in May, we let them on the fairways and it was the coldest May on record. And we were like six, seven, eight percent growth. We had the last frost April 22nd. And they were raking me over the coals about the condition of the fairways because the fairways weren't outgrowing the cart track. You know, when four carts go out with four people in it all day long, they're wearing it out. And they kept saying, oh, it's not the carts. It's less traffic when you have four carts versus two carts because everybody's just driving to their ball and not to both balls. You know, so it was my organic approach. I'm not fertilized. That's, that's, that's what they say. I don't fertilize that. I guess organic fertilizer is not fertilizer. And um, that's the reason. And then second week in June, potential growth is above 25%. You got the sunlight, you got the heat and this goes, these are the worst fairways in the state. And this happens to me every year to these are the best the fairways have ever been. So it's, it's that kind of thing. And I thought I could get ahead of it, but I could, they just raked me over the coals that, you know, I've got to do with, with the course down the street, even though they had zoysia in their path only from November through May. Um, it just, it's an education. And I look at it as a challenge like that. Okay. I'm going to educate you. You might not agree with me, but I'm going to at least tell you, we just don't wake up and say, what are we going to mow today? We, we do have a plan and, and we, we do it scientifically. And uh, uh, I'd shake my head some days, uh, but another one is uh, our worm farm. Uh, we had a lot of worm castings in fairways because our fairways were so sealed up. And they, they said my worms had escaped my shop and gotten out and made a mess for them, the golfer on, in the, on the golf course, you know? So what are you gonna do, you know? <laughs> what is the cost comparison for what you're doing compared to what you would be doing under traditional maintenance? Is there a savings involved? Is it more expensive to do this? Um, you know, well, organic products aren't, aren't cheap. Um, and so, you know, the fertilizers are not, and um, um, it's certainly a savings because I'm not spending the money near the amount of money in fungicides. I am in, in herbicides, but we do it different. We have a lot of, uh, my staff has these half gallon containers with a, you know, a, a quarter ounce of something in it to treat individual plants or, um, you know, nuisance ants or things like that. So we're not using the glug method in, in a 200 gallon tank. Uh, so we, we're, we are using them, but, but so I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I wish I was better at the accounting end it's, and I could give you a hard number. Um, but I, I think, you know, in fungicides we're as I said, I think we're saving a minimum of 40%, 50%. Um, I just, you know, I wish I had a secretary and I'd say, let's go through it all and write it down. Herbicides and insecticides, we are saving money. And I've seen some budgets of chemical budgets and, you know, they blow me away how much they're spending. But I, I think now with synthetics and inorganic fertilizers going sky high, it might balance out more because I haven't found the organic prices to be going up that much. You know, it's a lot easier to get soy protein or fish 
uh, emulsion uh, than it is maybe some of the ureas or some of the other things that are, you know, created out of out of the United States. Um, so fertilizer, yeah, probably 50%, 40% savings there. Um, and you could say, well, they put down more. They're greener than us. Yeah, I can't get that green color that they get with organics. That's for sure. Um, but at the but end of the I'm, day, I'm not sure your look would be exactly what you really want or that you're after if you were that green either. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, a lot of golfers judge the quality by the color and uh, right or wrong, <laughs> they do. Um, it's wrong. It, yeah. And Chris is standing behind me and, you know, saying this is what we want. And if a member is going to talk about it, look, you can talk to Chris and, you know, he can direct them. Look, this is what we want at, at Rivermont. There's other clubs. If you want those things, there's a, a palette out there. But if you want a very unique experience that's uh, not like anything else around the Atlanta area, then, then you, you have it at Rivermont. So, What's the future of this movement and how it fits into the golf course maintenance model going forward? Well, I, I see it in Europe, and I just wish our European counterparts and you know, I wish there was a forum for the guys in the United States that are interested in this with with the people in Europe that are so severely restricted. Um, I kept thinking the last 20 years that people just would come to their senses and say, hey, this is a better way to go. It's sustainable. My members like it. You know, they're more and more understand and appreciate it than not, uh, but it is an education. But now I don't know, um, you know, and when I go, when I go to um, conferences, um, you know, and the, and the pathologists are there, man, you know, I, I walk away from those talks going, God, I'm, I'm a complete idiot. I mean, I should be spraying these fungicides every week uh, so that I don't have a disaster on my golf course because they've got the programs and they've tested them and they're committed to these and they don't see disease. But um, so it's, it's a gutsy thing not to rely on, you know, that main line, if, if you will, uh, every week of the year. And um, it's, I just don't see a lot of people saying let's, let's roll with it until the owner's, say let's do it because if the course it's course down the street said tomorrow hey we're going to do what rivermont's going to do there there'd be a hard time ahead you know because of disease outbreaks and and things in the change and people not used to it people don't like change so um i've had some people try some of the native grasses john and in a rocky area out of way and they get ripped for it um, because that was that was my shot. I, I went through that area. Right. It's like, well, it was rock. I don't have irrigation. And it's like, cut that crap down, you know. So it's it's a tough one. So we're forced. Yeah, and you know, California's being forced. You know, huh? With all the drought restrictions, they're they're finally cutting down on the acreage. And how right. can we get drought? You know, so it's coming. You fallen out of the Palmer Maples tree. How has he formed your career? He was a boss that um, 
let me be hands-on, let me make mistakes. I burned some greens and he watched it happen. And instead of coming to me, he just asked one of the, you know, the hands to, hey, um, what do you think about this green? It's starting to burn up, um, you know, and, and he brought me into that research environment, just didn't make me do it, just introduced me into it. And, and uh, he, he was a joyous person that uh, nothing seemed to bother him. Uh, just always um, could give me all the time he wanted. And then at the same time, he was becoming president of the National Association. So he was gone a lot more. So, you know, at 19 and 20 years old, I was in charge while he was gone. And I learned from that uh, quite a bit, uh, how to manage people and and, and get the job done. So he, he was great in the fact that he wasn't, you know, a domineering force you to do things. Um, he would come to me with math problems and boy, I would struggle like crazy trying to figure them out. Uh, when we had a, another student, you know, we could play off each other, kind of, that kind of thing. Ken Mangum came from that school too. We both worked together uh, for Palmer. So that, that was it. And, and, you know, I didn't really think about it when my own career took off, but then, you know, in later years, I'm thinking back and saying, yeah, it was all Palmer's, you know, introducing me that to the young age. Cause if I didn't have that probably wouldn't, I'd be just taking everybody's word for it and, you know, going like, like everybody else, uh, you know, this works, research says it works. I'm going with that rather than, Hey, I want to see it on my property. I want to do it myself. And I want to, find new ways to do it. Can I do it? Well, Mark, we'll end things there. Thanks very much for your time today. It was great catching up with you and learning more about the trajectory of your career and the path you've been on. And as I said, for anybody who has not been to Rivermont and you're in the area, check it out. I think you'll be surprised. Well, John, thank you. And thanks, TurfNet. Um, Y'all have been great friends and uh, wonderful partners all, all the way down through the ages, I would say now. So uh, my hat's off to you and, and thank you again for this honor. I, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there that uh, I'm sure can uh, well fit that, uh, that mold. So uh, I look forward to seeing who, who else is coming aboard on that. So, uh, when, when do you send my uh, check and um, uh, my trip? Uh, yeah, it's in, it. it's in the mail. Okay, okay. Thank you, John. Thanks, Mark. Take care. Yep, See you. Too.